hey, the last you know, there's not a lot of stuff for people to do in the wintertime, so there's a lot of suck force in this part of the country. <laughs> <laughs> just, you just walk outside and suck. Just like pull it I'm not light. talking about me. I'm just saying. There's not a lot to do around here, so there's a lot of suck force. I see. Why is it the population bigger then? Because <laughs> there's also a lot of swallow force. <laughs> oh, my oh. God. <laughs> Right. Oh, I'm so glad Tony's not here. <laughs> his face would be red for sure. The top uh. of his head would be red. Welcome back to the Five Dirty Bikers podcast. Presented by Memphis Shades, the clear choice for custom windshields and bearings for your motorcycle. And wild-ass seats, stay in the saddle longer and in total comfort, no matter your butt or budget. Are you following the Fighters? Fighters on social media, find us on Facebook, and look us up on Instagram and TikTok at 530Bikers. Jace, I just saw the Get Bent Moto uh, highlight thing. That was that was good, man. Yeah, man. I'm a. Uh, I, uh, I didn't really like how fat I looked in the whole video. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's that's kind of the hard part about like uh, becoming a guest on a lot more uh, people uh, creators uh, content. You just uh, I see myself differently, and it's just um, I don't know. I got to stop drinking so much and <laughs> I lift something other than um, my kickstand. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's because well, we, we all did a know great how job. to we all yeah. know how to shoot ourselves, right? So we all get that yeah. right angle, you know. Yeah, and then exactly. someone else does, and you just want to punch them in the fucking face. It's like, <laughs> why did you? Why did you take that photo, Ryan? You know that's my bad side. Well, most of my friends too. They they will pick the worst photo of me to put out there, uh, yeah. just to kind of play on my uh, self consciousness. So, um, oh, no, that's what good friends do. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they humble you, right? Hundred percent. Yeah, that's definitely Ryan's technique. Yeah, that yeah, that's my technique for sure. <laughs> a great helper. Ben's getting better. He's doing. Uh, I've been friends with him since he started his channel, and uh, he he's nervous, just like a lot of people are when they're about to do anything in front of a camera. And he's been he's been kicking ass, man. I, I'm really proud of his progression uh, over the last couple of years and how his videos have continually gotten better. And uh, that's what it's all about, right? I mean, when you guys started your podcast. Or podcast whole concept is to is to just keep getting better at this shit, right? Yeah, so, I'm glad we did because when we are, started this, we, yeah, we were fucking awful at this when we started. Yeah, and I remember you in the in the feature, you were you were saying the same thing, like the audio, the audio wasn't up yeah. to snuff like you wanted, and you know you, you've just evolved over time. And it's we, we think we're get we got things dialed in. It's it's tough to do when you're all remote, but uh, exactly. we've we've, we've yeah. made it work, and yeah, everything everything sounds real good on your part too. I mean. People have no idea how important the audio part is. Yeah, I mean, when they're listening in their truck or car, I mean, YouTube's one thing, but when they're absorbing this while they're working, you know, the the audio becomes the most important thing because when it peaks and it's not consistent, like the experience of listening does not, it's not enjoyable anymore and people yeah. will turn it off. You know, I've done that to other podcasts where it's like they've got an amazing guest and the story's great, but I just, I'm annoyed, you know what I mean, by, yeah. Yeah. by the audio because it's just not enough attention put into it you know what i'm saying so or you're driving down the car and you're like babe you got to listen to this podcast it's badass but then it peaks and it's like people start laughing and it's piercing your ears you know what i mean and so you're like turning it up and down and shit all the time but 
I, I, I noticed that too. The the guests, uh, different guests that uh, come on, they don't know what to do with their hands. So I, I still don't know what to do with my hands. Well, well, <laughs> and the funny thing is, is that sometimes you can hear it on a podcast where like they'll their their nervous energy, they're like t- tapping the table or something, and yeah. so you get this audio thump that happens, yep. and and you know, like I it, in in my head, I'm envisioning that person's talking with their hands because they're tapping yeah. the table when they're talking, and where in normal conversation you wouldn't hear it, but in a podcast, you're like, holy fuck! I'm driving my truck, and the bass is like hitting this, you know, this table tap, and you're like, wow, that's crazy. It's like you're driving a Caprice or something down the street. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you got to drive a truck up here, otherwise you don't go anywhere. That's shit. <laughs> um, well, I mean. What I do now, because I, I talk with my hands too, which I realized today watching the video that Ben put out, um, I usually drink, and th- this goes back into why I need to start losing weight, is I drink something on the podcast, so that's my nervous energy just keeps, you know, tipping a cup back, and uh, I, you know what I mean? I'm able to kind of calm my nerves too, so I hide it better than some of my guests. <laughs> so. And everybody, we're talking to Jace Hudson here from Fast Life Garage and Fast Life Podcast. Jace, it's nice to see you and talk to you. This is uh, something we've been looking forward to, man. For sure, man. Thank you guys for having me on. Yeah. Yeah, it's a show I know I listen to. I've listened to a lot of your episodes. Great show. You have a lot and a lot of great guests, builders, painters, everything, you name it. And it's so awesome that, you know, from your perspective, you're in the industry, so you get to meet and make all these great contacts. And mm-hmm. it makes for great content on your on your show. It's It's good stuff. Well, I appreciate that. It's definitely been a help. You know what I mean? I, I think I talked about it recently on someone else's podcast, how it, it definitely gave me the upper edge whenever we started the podcast because I already had kind of a, a foot in the door with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it was really just me playing catch up to the be as quality as my guests are at some point. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, it's been a learning curve. I'm still I'm still working on myself, trying to be a better host and uh, and whatnot every day. So. Yeah. I mean, like us, like we really, we really had to start from the basement because like none of us are, we're none of us are in the yeah. industry. None of us, are, like we all did or do YouTube, but none of us, you know, blew up on it or anything like that. So really had to start to sell her with this. It's definitely, and trust it, me, I don't, I don't envy you guys at all. Well, literally is in the, the seller in the, the basement. Yeah, like not anymore. The, not anymore. He's he's in. Yeah, he's upgraded. Oh, that's true. That's true. He, he got. Uh, yeah, his yeah, kid went to. He kicked his kid out of the house. Now he's got his own podcasting room. Yeah, nice. that's right. Everybody, Tony will be joining us momentarily. He's running a little late tonight, but we will see him soon. So he got Tony's coming up from the basement to the the top floor. <laughs> <laughs> he tripped on well, the stairs. Well, I need to. I just need to start this off too, Jason. I I want to. I want to thank you uh, for for one thing and. And I know sometimes you don't like the word influencer, but I'm going to turn this I'm going to turn it on its head a little bit because uh, um, I remember listening to one of your podcasts uh, early on. I mean, it was it might have been two years ago, even it was a long time ago. And you were talking about um, at the end of the day, it's all about riding a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was one of the things that really resonated with me because at the time I was riding a like a twelve hundred Sportster and that bike wasn't going to be what um it wasn't going to do what I wanted it to do. Uh, I mean, obviously, any any two wheel vehicle can get you across the country. They do it on scooters, right? Yeah, yeah. But to do it comfortably and to do the kind of miles that I wanted to do and that kind of stuff, um, you're you know, you talking about your travels and what you do with your crew was a huge influence on me 
Um, in terms of how I ride now, I have a good group of guys that like to ride the same way that I like to ride, just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, um, you know, seeing what you did. And, and the other thing that was crazy unique about it is that uh, the motorcycle that I grew up on, um, that I did all of that stuff on, I lived in Southern California in a place called Palmdale. So it's kind of the armpit of California, uh, yeah. just north of Los Angeles. And yeah. uh, no, um, my wife's from Santa Clarita. <laughs> okay. All right. And uh, um, I actually, the first Harley that I ever rode on was a, a 1985 FXRT. Nice. And so that's what I, that's what I grew up on was, was that bike that my mom's husband bought brand new. We went camping and, and uh, actually he put a sidecar on it and we did it as a family oh, yeah. went, you know, all over California and did poker runs and all that kind of, you know, biker shit in the eighties when you were riding with all of the clubs because they were the ones that typically organized all of the charity events and toys, toy runs and that kind of stuff. And so it was interesting getting that perspective and how that all changes. But I just had uh, the opportunity uh, in March. um, I bought that same bike that I rode in 1985. So uh, yeah, so I, I got it like it was literally uh it's a two owner bike. So only two other people owned it before me and neither one of them did anything to it. So it's a completely stock 1985 FXRT in the same color scheme that the bike was that I rode in 1985. And I quickly realized that I don't know a fucking thing about what I'm doing with that bike. <laughs> so yeah. I have a lot to learn <laughs> a lot. Well, you got a when guy here my... that could paint the fuck out of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, when I bought my FXR, I didn't know shit about it either. I went backwards you know, from my first Harley was my mom's Sportster. Uh, yeah. Ironically enough, it was a Nightster. And I worked my way from there back wanting to do FXRs and things like that. Man, that FXR changed my life 100%. It, it made me appreciate a lot of aspects about riding a bike across country that I think that newer modern bikes kind of um, allowed me to take for granted, if you will. And not, mm-hmm. not saying that I want to go on every trip and have like these worries that something might go wrong. But I've said it in another podcast before. I think an FXR for a builder or somebody that's trying to have a custom shop, it's kind of a rite of passage, in my opinion, for anybody coming up that wants to be, you know, a builder, a customizer, or, you know, I mean, a tinker on bikes, anything like that. It's just you learn so much and you gain so much from from riding FXRs. Yeah, that's true. I mean, based based on uh, everything that I've seen and and all the you know all the people that that do it and 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 yeah. it, the community is crazy because the people that do love those bikes are just they're crazy about them and so yeah. uh, I kind of I at this point I haven't even reached out to anybody yet because I I. Uh, I don't know anything, so I don't even know the right questions to ask. You know what I mean? Like I have yeah. to, like I have to start doing some work to it to know what it needs and what I need to do to it because it's it's got low miles, like thirty four thousand miles. So mm-hmm. which it hasn't even it's not been ridden enough. I should say that. So at some yeah. point, you know, all the seals are going to need to be replaced. I mean, it needs work, but it, but the bones of it are perfect, and it's got it's virtually unmolested, right? So I yeah. mean. It has the hell yeah brother uh, uh, gas caps and everything. So oh, I yeah, love I mean, those. It has, yeah, it has everything. Well, I'm keeping that for sure, but it has them on the mirrors. Yeah. And uh, well, give um, it the fucking Hulk Hogan paint job then. It's got the Hulk kit. <laughs> yellow, yeah, brother, yellow and red. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's. I kind of hate pushing that hell yeah brother thing, and we used to say it so much on the podcast, and and not that we came up with it or anything like that, but 
it I've, I've seen how it's kind of divided certain people because of the way that they dress or ride or stuff and like that and and uh not not to throw this in a tangent but it just kind of uh sometimes uh i wish i we wouldn't have pushed so much of that growing up at this podcast so. Well, it's it's funny. It's funny that you say that, though, because there is there is really there's a lot of truth to it, because um, we talk about it all the time in my area of the country. It takes I mean, it takes five years for a trend to hit where mm-hmm. I'm at. I mean, much less the Midwest, but where I'm at at least five years. Oftentimes those trends are th- those trends are dead. Um, yeah. You can go to a bike show in my area and there's still a lot of big wheel baggers and a lot of bikes that over across the rest of the country are it's big wheel baggers and ape hangers are still all the way around here. I mean, yeah. I have a quote unquote performance looking bagger. That's the guys at SNS <laughs> threw that threw that on me because <laughs> I because I haven't yeah. done any. You know, I, I it's definitely an aesthetic that mine has. I haven't done any motor worker or um, I haven't done uh, uh, suspension or brakes on it. But everything yeah. else, you know, obviously I have the look for it. But um, my bike, there's literally no bikes in this area that look like mine. None. Yeah. Um, and so well, it, it takes so long for those things to get here. So I totally get what you mean by that. Well, to, to the other point you just made about like you haven't done brakes or motor yet. The other thing, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, um, the aesthetics of how the bike rides, how your air, I guess, ergonomics or however the fuck you would say that uh, sitting in the in your seat and your bars and all that stuff that plays into the how you ride your bike. You know, sure. if you got a, 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 a rider backrest and you got forward controls and your ape hangers come all the way back to you obviously you're not in a riding position that's going to be more aggressive riding right right and so mm-hmm. that's more of a cruise more of a touring thing so as much as guys want to uh dissect performance down to the t to kind of uh make their tribalism community smaller honestly man like i i'm kind of so overwhelmed or, or so bored of it now of everybody and the tribalism and shit that I just want to go ride bikes. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. Like I just want to see more people riding bikes and less reels and TikTok bullshit. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yep. It's kind of. I mean, I just got back from Sturgis, and you know, five years ago when we went, like you, you would see one set of T bars on a bagger, and now you see almost. It's almost like half of of all, of all the custom bikes, if you will. And I think that's mm-hmm. dope, but also like the toxicity that's kind of come along through social media the last couple of years with people's choices of how they fix up their bikes and stuff has gotten a little out of hand. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's uh, like, it's not your fucking bike. Why do you care? Yeah. You know, know, and, and, you know, people will come up to me and say, Hey man, like I got this bike, you know, you inspired me to do this, but it's not a full performance bike. I'm still a little hell yeah, brother. And I'm like, I feel bad. That's what I was saying about. I feel bad about pushing that narrative or joking about it so much because I don't want anybody to feel like if they have a motorcycle, that's enough. You know what I'm saying? Like, Yep. To, yeah. to be able to own a Harley Davidson, like that was something that a lot of people in my family growing up couldn't do. So, right. yeah, you know, the fact that someone can do that now, I mean, I, I just feel like that's something we shouldn't take for granted. Maybe you can't have a bike to, to you know, in some aspects the way I do or somebody even an Arlen S or something like that. Like, fuck, you got a bike, man. Just go ride it. Like, that's what it's for. It's not about like, you know, what's sitting in your driveway. Like that doesn't make you more or less of a biker. You know what I'm saying? So yep. I don't yeah. know. Well, I don't even know what the hell I'm talking yeah, about. No, no. And it, and it totally makes <laughs> sense because it, 
and that's why when when I was talking to the guys about uh, at SNS and they 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 dubbed it the performance looking bagger is that the the changes I made to the bike were aesthetic, but it it fit how I how I rode and how I wanted yeah. to ride. So like I put a ton of miles on my bike before I started making those changes. You know what I mean? I rode six thousand miles with the stock bars, and I was like, okay, when you ride that many miles in a day with the stock bars on a Road King Special, yeah. your wrists my you know your wrists are yeah. turned in that weird yeah. position, and they were killing me and as soon as yeah exactly and as soon as i put as soon as i put the i put lucky 13s on mine and as uh, soon as i put those on there and my wrists were straight forward instead of turned i could ride 700 miles in a day because it yeah. completely changed that comfort level and i'm tall i'm six foot three so the mm -hmm. the having the t-bar stood me upright i wasn't bent over anymore like all of those changes that that you know you talk about you know making changes to your bike because of how you ride it's it's great because the guys that I ride with, we all ride different bikes and we've all done things to our bikes differently. So it's not like I ride with guys that all have a bike like mine. We all have four, where there's four of us that ride together and they're four totally different bikes with four totally different aesthetics. And yeah. uh, um, and, and that's so for us, it's it's totally fits what you're saying. Like, just get out and ride like I don't ride with guys that just have my style of bike right it, it's yeah. you know i ride with guys that want to ride like i ride you know that want to ride across the country and lots of miles and that kind of stuff you know like we have to do it in a short period of time so last year we rode thirteen thousand miles in our three-month season so nice. you got to put i mean you got to you got to be moving to do that i think it was i think it was 15, 14 states and thirteen thousand miles last year that we did last season like i said i've been in the motorcycle industry for almost 20 years and I saw the birth of social media and how it connected to the motorcycle industry and how that's changed over the last 10 years or 12 years or so. Um, and it's just, it's, it's happening so much faster now where so many people, and I'm generalizing here, it feels like so many people are, are falling in love with talking about riding bikes on YouTube channels or on their Instagrams or their, their throttle chick or their, you know, Dinah dude. And, you know, everybody's like an influencer now. And in a sense, I mean, I guess we kind of all are in a sense, you know, right. We have different levels of influence on certain people, but I just, I just wish more people did it without a camera in their face all the time. Like I've, I've always talked about how the hardest part of me starting a true YouTube channel for doing like moto style stuff is because I'm too busy doing it to want to set up a camera and like right. capture this for the audience because I'm, I'm a little selfish in that where I need this yep. for my own personal therapy and my own like reassurance that what I'm doing in life is the right way for me to be happy, let alone like you start putting cameras everywhere and like fake drive up to it and shit like that. It's like, I don't know, man, like that to me, it's just, it's one of those weird things where like, I feel like it's not necessarily bad. I mean, I think everything course corrects itself, but it's just weird. I, I guess I'm an old man now and I'm just looking at how. <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're not. I, I, <laughs> no, you're not. But yeah, but you know, you're, not, you're not the only one that that goes through that. I think we're, yeah. Yeah. we all kind of go through that to some extent, unless you're one of these people that just say, well, I'm going to do YouTube full time now. Right. So yeah. you force yourself I, into, into that content creation mode. But I'm saying I haven't put out a video in weeks now, you know, because I, I just when I was riding, I was just in the moment. I yeah. think yeah. I think if you if you want to if you want to make it for you like more digestible one of the things i've always said is that if 
if you're going to talk about it, be about it. Right. And so you you've done that. Right. You are about it. You put on a lot of miles. You ride across the country. And so if you did start putting out videos, whether you felt like you set up that shot and it was contrived or not, you're making you're making what you're doing digestible to a different audience than you know what I mean. And, And and you do put on the miles. And so you have a platform where you can talk about it. That's what I've said, even with the content creation that that I've done is that I can back that up with, hey, the reason why I'm going to tell you that these footboards are good is because I put 5,000 miles on them last year and look at them. They're good, yeah. right? I think what you have to learn to do, and I had to learn how to do it, and I know Percy did and and uh, uh, and Dustin did, is you have to learn to be able to say, okay, I'm just going to ride today or I'm going to do content creation so that you don't feel the pressure to every time you get on your bike to have that camera to do that. You know, yeah, and yeah. and you have you have the platform and you have the legitimacy because you're you're doing all the other things. And so I don't think that there's I think you're the way you're thinking about it is yeah. is OK, Shitty. because you're you're obviously trying to you're trying to like find that place where it's going to make sense to you. Right. Yeah. Is that is that kind of what you're trying to do? Uh, I'm trying to make sense for myself. Like, um, right. Like, I guess that's what you're saying as well. But I. I I think I have so many mixed emotions about it to where like part of me hates it. Part of me supports it. You know what I mean? Part of me just, you know, loves the the solitude of what riding can be for an individual or a group of friends. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I, I feel like a big hypocritical bowl of shit. You know what I'm saying? When it comes to <laughs> that, because I, I hate it as much as I love it. Cause I consume a lot of right. it. You know what I'm saying? No. But yep. It, it's it's just i don't know it's i'm just a complainer by nature so you gotta bear with me <laughs> well just uh, let me ask you this how, how are you with editing is it something you like to do uh, i don't like it as much i mean I, I i have a full like setup right here to my right uh you know to do all that stuff and um i've done a couple things here and there but mostly like when it comes to the podcast like i've set it all up to be like no editing you know complete switching live stream I usually hire a friend to come in here to, to run the cameras. We do podcasts. So when we go live, like everything's out there and trust me, I'm, there's a lot of shit out there. I wish wasn't out there, but it's there on YouTube. (laughs) Um, But I want to spend more time. That's why I've been kind of uh, pushing a little bit more paint away over the last couple of months. That way I can free up my time to try to be creative in another, another place, uh, which is going to be, you know, creating some type of content on YouTube. I don't, I got an idea. I don't want to talk about it yet because I feel like every time I talk about it, I never do it. And so, but I do have an idea. I think I have an idea of what's going to be our brand's version of a YouTube video. And um, it could be bullshit. I don't know. I'm hoping that by the beginning of the year, we'll we'll be able to start cranking out content that's going to be wrapped up in like everything that we are, like from the, the painting to the customizing to the photography to the travels to the podcast, like find a way to pull that all together. Cause in a sense, there are a lot of different audiences to each one of those little worlds. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. photography is a big part of my life right now, as far as like what I love to do. And I know that's something that a lot of people in the motorcycle industry dig. There's a, there's a community of that, but there's also a really big community that's not in the motorcycles that are in photography. Right. So trying to find a way to kind of pull all these areas and, you know, create something that's unique, a little bit different than some people's but I, I mean I don't know if anything there's anything completely original anymore you know what I mean but 
I don't know. We found out that there's not a lot of cross pollination. You know what I that's, mean? So that's like, kind of what I was talking about doing. Yeah. 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 When you so. Yeah, it, it, well, it, 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 but you're, you're exactly right. You know, when we put out a YouTube video, we, we just did it. We talked about it today because we have a Discord for people like a chat server, right? Yeah. And uh, we were asking, okay, when we put out a podcast, you guys watch uh, YouTube videos because Dustin does an edit of a YouTube video. And they're two, they're two different audiences. People that watch our videos maybe don't listen to the podcast or the podcast listeners don't watch the videos. And so yeah. they're two, like you said, they're two different audiences. And so mm-hmm. if you're going to meld all of your audiences and have each one of these pieces, you're going to have something maybe that appeals to each separate section of your, of your audience that follows you maybe for different reasons. And yeah. I, I think it's a great, I think it's a great idea. The concept is, is great. And, and I, I would, I would argue with you when you said that there's nothing original anymore. And and the reason why is I think that like your podcast audience and our podcast audience, they're not the same. You yeah. know what I mean? Like people listen to us for different reasons. While we probably oh, yeah. do share a few people, you know, they're, they're not the same audiences, but we're both a, we're both motorcycle centric podcasts, but we're completely different in how we deliver that information. Oh, 100%. And I've always said this, uh, about like podcasters, like we can interview the same guests and it's yeah. going to be two completely different podcasts, even though. Oh yeah. For centric sure. Around the guest. You know what I mean? Yep. So what I think is pretty cool about that too, is that, is that I, I don't, at least I don't, maybe, maybe you feel differently, but I don't feel like there's a competition in that space. Oh, you know no. what I mean? Like, like amongst podcasts or whatever, I don't, because they're so different and, and you're, uh, I, I don't feel like that we're competing against each other in that space no, or, or well, doing that thing. What is it? A rising tide floats all ships. So um, right. in the podcast space, when we started it um, coming up on five years ago, there was only there had been a bunch of podcasts, but no one stuck through it. So there'd be a couple episodes from this brand, a couple from that brand. And realistically, the only ones that I think that are still around from when we started were is Danger Dan's Talk Shop who's yep. the guy that got me into podcasting and yep. uh, maybe cycle source. If you call that a podcast, you know what I'm saying? Um, yep. Other than that, most of the people that have, have gone, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys were around in 17 um, doing this, no, but we, we, we weren't around yet. No, um, that's been, a, and, and even since then, you know, like there's been a lot of people that have come and then they'll, they'll go hard on it for a couple you know months or weeks and then they drop off in the, and these, the audiences, I think, are created through consistency. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Like when you, when they can rely on you to drop some episodes at least monthly. Maybe mm-hmm. you know if you can get to the point where you can do every Monday, like you guys, I think, are doing. Yep. That's like a very consistent thing. Then your audience can grow a lot faster. But me, I travel a lot, so one month I got to drop four podcasts in three days. You know what I mean? To make up to give my my quota for the month, right? Um. But as long as I'm consistent, I feel like so many people would lose consistency or they thought that it was like going to make money quick or um, or it wasn't that hard. It's it's not hard to do the podcast, but everything before and after is where it kind of gets a little bit complicated. You know what I'm saying? Um, but yeah, congratulations on you guys for sticking out. I see you guys in the in the top charts all the time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, oh so. thanks. So I, I got a question for you. Now, podcast is almost if you look at it now it's almost a step backwards if you do it mm-hmm. traditionally because everybody now wants to be visual. What is, what is your take on podcasting now knowing that we have 
all these other podcasts that are that are more video first, and then it's just like, yeah. okay, I'll put the audio and and upload it to Buzzsprout or wherever. Well, I would say, you know, I have a small YouTube presence, so and it's literally only through our podcast. But my my numbers of my podcast are consumed through audio, right? Right. The like you were saying earlier, like the there's a difference between some of the the video listeners and the audio listeners. I would say the same thing, or I would say that more of like. We also do a lot of community building within our brand through the campouts and things like that. Right. And some of the shops and the different new communities that we work with on stuff. And what we get is like a tight knit group of people that kind of watch the podcast religiously, if you will. You know what I mean? So we have a, a group of a couple hundred, maybe a thousand or so people that will, that will do n- never live. Like when we do live, we might get a couple hundred people watching it right then, but our biggest draw for the podcast is still audio. You know what I mean? Like that's where, you know, our numbers come from. And obviously those numbers are different from YouTube numbers when it comes to analytics. Um, But the visual space, like you were saying, is just like, I think it's just the growth of podcasting is going that direction. And I think that what you can see from like Rogan going on to Spotify, I think some of these apps are going to get to the point where they're going to be able to accept more video as well as their servers and whatever they need to do on the nerd side of things catches <laughs> up with like what's going on here. Right. Um, I don't know. I think it's to me, I only did the video aspect because I felt like it was a fun challenge to figure out. And it was also like adding another element that at the time we didn't really have many people doing it uh, in our motorcycle space. I mean, you have guys that would like, take a couple cameras and they'll cut, a 15 minute podcast together, but I almost like laugh at 15 minute podcasts. I'm like, dude, I'm not going to waste my time. <laughs> you know what I mean? If I'm going to work and I want to put a podcast on, I'm like, okay, this podcast will get me to lunch and then I can watch <laughs> the next podcast or listen to the next podcast and it's time to go home. It makes my day go by or the drive right. go by. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess that maybe answered some of your questions. So. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I think that's <clears throat> we we've done I think similar things as far as that goes. We don't do a camp out, but we have kind of a a meetup yeah. in in the Midwest that that we've done. And uh, I I totally agree with what you're talking about in terms of building a community around your your brand or what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, because we did the same thing very early on. We started a Discord, you know, uh, a chat server. I think it's mainly used for gaming, but we yeah. we dropped one of those in. Um, <clears throat> And so it's, you know, I think that like you, you've said in the past, motorcycling is definitely tribal. I think that um, what we've done is try to, uh, you know, provide a place where um, people can feel like they can, they can be a part of it and not have to feel the pressure to own a specific bike, to ride a kind of bike, to be a certain way. You know what I mean? We've tried to not take ourselves very seriously. Uh, You know, we make fun of each other and make fun of ourselves. And and I think that that, that really makes people feel like, um, you know, like you're, we're all part of the same group of people. You know what I mean? Instead of, instead of standing above someone, you're standing with them. Let me ask you this, because uh, you brought up a great point that I hope that I can say clearly. Um, a long time ago, before the social media, we had chat rooms, right? We had like yeah. website chat rooms and things mm-hmm. like that. And yeah. some of the first places I ever found other people to ride with was I saw another bike at a gas station and I stopped and said, hi, I have a motorcycle too. 
do you do what do you do like do you guys ride anytime like and he goes yeah come here on thursday at 7 p.m and i show up and then i meet people and then get invited to a, a chat room right this is like oh two oh three and um I'm like, okay, yeah, that's the how Yahoo, I, the Yahoo I chat rooms were strong. Those exactly. <laughs> that's how I found people to ride with back in the day. And now like, like, let's just fast forward and evolve. So many people maybe don't have as much of a personal connection with other bike things. A lot of dealerships might feel hard to kind of make connections with friends. Some people's bike nights are so massive that where do you start? How do you, how do you know what crowd to walk up to and say, hi, I'm looking for friends to ride bikes. So, your podcast, uh, your discord is a, is a way to bring people together. And the other thing I love about it, and I'm, I'm sure you guys get this, we get it, is that you inspire people to maybe travel outside of their state line to come do one of your events or maybe uh, give them the courage to be the first one to start something, a small little bike night or gathering in their community. Right. And then these things kind of all hive together and become, you know, like they get connected. And next thing you know, you got a whole mesh of, people across the country that you guys can ride your bikes anywhere and there's a group of people in portland or there's a group of people here that you can connect with and they want to connect with you as well and ride and just talk and and just be fucking bikers you know what i'm saying so yeah we had, we had a group in discord meet up at hell michigan over the weekend i mean none of yep. us went but it was cool that they were able to make those connections yeah, on our discord and they all met up in michigan that was amazing i thought yeah exactly yeah. so that's what we've we've kind of experienced through you know, when you talked about my crew or my, I just like to call them the homies. We all met at a bike night that we started back in eight, seven, 18. Right. So when I started my podcast, my closest friends, I didn't know them yet. You know what I'm saying? Sure. It's just yeah. crazy. But in becoming friends with these guys and sharing, we're all kind of in the same age group. We kind of have similar, we make similar kind of money. So we all have like similar vacation times and affordability to do things that we do. It's just a great fit. It's through these guys that that I was like, man, I love moto camping. You guys should try this too. And then I, we did one as a just a small, intimate group of guys. And uh, next thing you know, we started our camp out in eighteen. Like, you know what I mean? So those small like connections. That the, the hardest part for everybody is like just getting together and saying, hey, my name's Jace. What's yep. your name? You know what I'm saying? Yep. Like once you yep. get past that, people the the love for motorcycles can can create so much awesome shit. You know what yep. I'm saying? For everybody to enjoy. And then they stick around in motorcycles for longer. They don't sell it and get a jet ski or a boat or some shit. You know what I yeah. mean? They stick. They're like, yeah. I want to, I want to upgrade my bike from a sportster now because these guys want to go on a trip next year and I want to be a part of it. And I don't want to be the one stopping every hundred miles for gas. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So yep. these things uh, like help people evolve and find a real connection to motorcycles, like what you guys are doing now. So I, I was totally inspired by one of the things you said when you were talking about the icebreaker, because I know you've even said that in a podcast before, how the hardest part is putting yourself out there. And mm -hmm. so when we were <clears throat> when we were having our event this year, I actually called out some of the guys that I knew were going to be at our event and say, hey, if you don't want to come up and say hi to me, go say hi to this guy or go yeah. say hi to this guy. A and so that people that showed up that that like felt weird about it would just would just uh um you know know there was somebody that 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 they could go to and then the other thing i started thinking about as the host and i did it our first night that as soon as somebody pulled up on their bike i just walked right over to them 
yeah. and introduced myself first. And I was the first person to break the ice so that they didn't have to feel weird and like stand yeah. around in a group of people they didn't know. I just walked over, shook their hand. I said, I'm Ryan. Uh, I'm glad you came. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Your bike looks awesome. And and I like yeah. did all of that right away just to like so that they didn't have to do it or didn't have to mm-hmm. feel weird. I just did it myself. And you after do. I did it about eight times, I'm like, this is easy. Like this, this makes them feel so much more comfortable and I don't, it's not going to bother me. So I just did it to everybody. And it was, it was good for me. Um, and I, and I know it was good for the people that came and, and I just remember that was something that you said and it never resonated any more true than, uh, um, I actually saw you at, um, mama tried yeah, and we were actually in the room at the same time in in the in the big room and i was probably 10 feet from you and i kept thinking to myself i just need to go over there and just introduce myself and but it was the same thing and you were like surrounded by your homies and i was like i was like i'm he's busy right now and i'm you know it was the same it, i i had like had that same like self-doubt like creeped in oh did i and get I it too, just, and i should have just walked over and just done what exactly what you said and i just i didn't do it you know, I guarantee you at that same event in mama tried, there was at least a handful of people there. I was like, I want to know this guy and I want this guy to know me. You know what I mean? But I don't know what the fuck to say. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm, I'm awkward with it too. It, it's the same. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, I, I, sometimes I've met people or walked up to them and I pushed myself past that and, you know, like just had kind of a hard time, like making a good first impression just because I was so nervous or whatever you would say, but no, yeah. to your point, man. Um, yeah, that's the hardest part. And, and I think that like the community side of it or, or whatnot, I, I, I like that now, you know, looking back, some of the first guys that came to our camp out, um, they're big names now, you know, not because of the camp out, but just because at that time it was easier, a smaller event. Like we're talking like 70 to a hundred people, to meet now that you know we had a thousand people at our last camp out it's it's really hard to shake everybody's hand or everybody cannot make connections and stuff you know what i mean but yep we still get that and i still see it i still see guys that like well i try to get them to do this i'm like hey if you're coming to the camp out in at adam sandoval's in o- oklahoma um put it out there that you're riding and then we'll help facilitate or we'll help connect you with people in your area that's also coming and y'all can can y- y'all can do this together if you're coming from idaho like there's a there's a group that comes here from idaho and they're all cool people they're welcoming you know what i mean right you might have to ride to their level which that's that's on that's between you guys but those people end up becoming friends and i've seen these groups kind of grow and blossom in different parts of the country for that same reason and yeah. so you know there's a you have sturgis and sturgis is an amazing event that we're all pretty privileged to have as motorcyclists that people decided to do something like a camp out or like your discord chat in the thirties. Right. And now we have something massive that, you know, to, to all kind of go and, and consume and use to do the same thing, like network and get to know people and see badass bikes and ride some of the best shit in America. So, um, yeah. I think that like, I talk as much as I can and as well as I can about supporting a lot of different people, brands, channels, and content creators and, and parts manufacturers that kind of also support the community or the motorcycle scene. You know what I mean? Um, you know, where you spend your money, it's like, it's like we have our own little economy, you know, and if you're going to, if you're going to wear motorcycle centric clothes, like buy one that you also see supports and sponsors people, you know what I mean? 
they're yep. putting money back into the scene to allow content creators or events to be held as opposed to, you know, something that you just see the guys like take the money and go buy speedboats and never give a fuck about right. where their money's coming from. You know what I'm saying? So, right. um, you know, I, I've switched parts on my bikes for that. Like I've gone from one brand to another because that brand makes a comparable product. I wouldn't say it's better or worse, but they put money back or they put effort back into creating the scene that we all enjoy and, and have, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And not everybody's going to think like that and that's fine. But you know, is the more people that do, then the, the bigger those brands grow and then the more they have opportunities to give back to, you know, the scene. So you said you went to Sturgis. Yeah. Was this your first trip to Sturgis? Uh, it's, this would be my eighth in a row. Eighth. Yeah. Wow. What keeps you going I to go every year for the rest of my life? Why? To say I did it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a story for the grandkids. Come on. Sturgis is like a Sturgis is um now now granted, like I, I've gotten to have a much better or a much different experience that I think a lot of people would kind of have uh, because of my industry connections going to Sturgis. So um that's kind of always made it to where like if I don't go, I feel FOMO at the worst level. I see a lot of friends that build bikes that I wanted to be there to see them or congratulate them. Or, you know, we, we end up working with a lot of bike shows to do, uh, you know, our pick or trophies or giveaways. Uh, there's just a lot of shit going on Sturgis. It's, it's also like another way to help. Like last year, we didn't do it this year cause I just went real quick, but last year we used to do a, a campground uh, called days end and we would like kind of promote it through our podcast. And then we give people that don't have like a lot of homies, like, look come camp here these dates we'll be here come hang out with us you know what i'm saying and i mean tag along with us on our ride tag along with us when we go to downtown and and we've actually made friends like people that we still talk to this day from that so sturgis itself though is uh is if you can get past the crowds and and you know all that stuff you you can't ride the rides the way that you're probably going to want to ride the rides you know the iron mountain the needles the spearfish you know, there's, there's so many people there, but it's like plugged. It's like being plugged into the motorcycle matrix when you're there. And I like that feeling for a while. You know, I like yeah. feeling, seeing, putting my thumb on the pulse and feeling that, oh, this shit's still fucking going real good. You know what I mean? And I don't know. It's it's just a, it, it's just one of those things that I feel like I, I need to be a part of and I need to support if I want to keep it around, you know? Yeah. I, and I, I feel I, the same way because we've been able to build I guess a little bit of a, I don't know how big of a reputation we're building on this show, but at least we're getting to know people yeah. that are going to events like that. So if the five of us show up, at least we'll know somebody there. And oh, like yeah, I plan, yeah. it, it might not be next year. It might not be the year after, maybe the 85th. Yeah. I, I would like to go. I'd love to see the five of us do a podcast from Sturgis. Hell yeah. I think that'd, that'd be, be the nice. coolest thing and just have anybody come by, pop in, say a few things, bullshit, just have a good time, drink beer, whatever. Yeah, I mean, all these events, it's not just Sturgis. Like, I haven't I haven't got to do Laconia yet. That's one that I'd like to do. It's just me and my friends do our big, you know, two-, three-week trip every year in June. And last year, it just didn't line up to make it. We went to Maine last year, but we just didn't make the Laconia dates. Um, Daytona is not my favorite, but uh, there's something about it that's um, – let me, let me put it like this. When you've gotten to one rally and you had a blast and you decided to go to the next one, I, I did this, and I'm speaking from experience. I think sometimes 
you wear Sturgis glasses to Daytona and you're kind of wanting Daytona to be what you had in Sturgis and they're not the same place. They're not the same anything. It's just the only thing the same about it is that there's bikers there and, you know, all the other shit that goes along with that. But the there's something special about Daytona. I haven't figured it out yet, but it's still going on. So I got to try it again and see what the what the draw is. Um, same thing with like, you know, Arizona Bike Week or Laconia or, you know, all the smaller events that are starting to become really big events like the Tennessee Motorcycle Revival at Loretta Lynn's. Um, Have you been to Little Sturges? Uh, no, in, I in Kentucky. No, I, I, I got invited heard to go. Crazy stories about I heard, it. I heard it's a nudist colony. Yeah, that well, is what I've heard. <laughs> that's we we used to have these rallies that would go through Texas. I'm sure they went all over the country, but they used to be called so and so rally, and then they just kind of cut the bullshit and said, "Look, this is an adult rally." And what they mean by adult rally is you're going to see a lot of male penis. <laughs> it's like watching i just watched jackass forever dude i i didn't know what i was getting Pretty myself much, into yeah. <laughs> well, i haven't watched all of that yet it's everywhere uh, rock, rock there's rally a lot here. going on yeah I, the rock I rally that. here is a uh, very it's a pretty decently old event and that's kind of what that has turned into i think that someone bought it recently and they they moved locations but for rock rally in, in austin texas that was kind of like a huge event i think it hit up to like 40 or 50 years and it just got to a point where there was like, they call it the nude mile. And it's just like this big loop. And there's all these RVs and golf carts in the middle. And just people go around in circles on their golf carts, sometimes their bikes, you know, revenant to the top of its ability. And there's usually a boobs involved here and there, which I'm not, <laughs> I'm not opposed to that. I mean, I, I dig it. I mean, I had fun there. But the thing is that even if they're know, tucked into a waistband, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I got this analogy that I think I, I started talking about in a little podcast ago, but there's two things that you can't not look at waterfalls and boobs. <laughs> and it doesn't matter how big or small each one are. It's like, oh shit, it's a waterfall. <laughs> it could be oh, right spit down Aquafina. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I can attest that sometimes you just can't notice them. Like there's doesn't matter you just yeah. notice them yeah it's like oh shit there's titties well, i don't know if i like them but i'm still looking you know? <laughs> so, it's just one of those deals but no there's there's just like to, to i guess to my point uh there's just so many different events and you have to kind of learn how to go there with an open mind and let it be whatever the hell it is and uh not like oh i like sturgis better well, how are you going to compare sturgis and daytona they're not even the same there's not there's nothing the same about it <laughs> you know what i mean right two different places I, I went to uh, both of the um, the events in uh, the Mama Tried events in Milwaukee this year, and they were the first ones that I had gone to. And I get that that feeling when you said you feel like you've been plugged into the matrix. I like yeah. walked into that event space, and the, the bikes were on platforms, and and it was in that old, you know, very artsy style building. And I was yeah. like, man, you, you know, these are my people. Like everybody there is like very blue collar. Milwaukee is just a very blue collar town. Reminded me a lot of where I live because it's obviously up, up in the North, you know, where we're not riding and you go to this, all of a sudden you just see all these bikes there and, yeah. and yeah, it was, it was great. And, and that first mama tried that. It was so weird because it, it changed, it changed so many things. Even that whole influencer title, I, I would, I would uh, argue anybody right now to say that I probably have, uh, have helped put mama tried on the map, maybe more than any other influencer. So yeah. I, I posted two reels from Mama Tried. 
My first reel got uh, 1.3 million views. Damn. My second reel got 18.7 million. Dad, yeah. You're and viral, it was, sir. <laughs> it He's throwing it, it over his shoulder now. Yeah, right? <laughs> it, it was from that uh, that race with the motorcycle. And, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got, like, this perfect shot of it coming around the corner. Were and you then, down like, in the center? I was I was fourth row, so I was yeah, I was really close, right but I was right on the corner where they came around, and so I got this great shot, and uh, I, I it like people were sending me links of like it got stolen by people in in uh, like Africa and Russia, and yeah. it I, it was probably twenty million views that weren't even mine after they stole it off of my you know yeah. off of off of my thing, but it was like just like you said, it was like being plugged in for about two weeks. My phone was so hot from just the notifications on it like it would just go 24 7 it just it was it was crazy but being at the event and like smelling all of the smells and and feeling the motors and 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 everything it was it was the same same thing that you're talking about not sturgis right obviously because mama tried is its own thing but I totally get that analogy that you made to being plugged into the matrix because you like walk in and every person there is for the same reason. And it's all yeah. motorcycles. So, yeah, and, and yeah, honestly, was, you, you know, I, I think that everybody should do one big event and 10 small events, smaller events, like, you know, do one Sturgis style event a year and try to do 10, you know, mama tried or, you know, your said types, you know, of, a smaller events that way you can kind of see what the big picture is the the big community of motorcycles in, is but also these more niche-based community size style ones you know what i mean born free right. is one of those shows uh you know I've, I've i did born free for the third time this year uh that i've gone in the first year i went like i said i wore glasses for an event we used to have here in texas called giddy up and i was like oh this is gonna be like giddy up it was an amazing first like chopper style event i went to and i was like this sucks. It's nothing like Giddy Up. Well, it's not. It's born free. It, it, I should have went there to be like, yo, this is born free. Let it show me what it is, right? And right. since I've gone back, the more every time I go back, I, I know more people and I have more fun. And this last time was the most fun. I had a lot of my close friends there. I had created relationships, whether it was through the podcast or just in general with people, to where it was a constant like talking to people seeing shit hey we're all going to this bar after this let's, let's ride over there and i, I just i love it man like <laughs> i did I, I don't know if you guys know about it but i did a uh, in june i was on the road for 29 days and uh that was uh i was i, I said to myself on this trip i was like when i go out i'm either gonna hate being on my motorcycle or i'm gonna only want to be on my motorcycle and i'm kind of in between it but being on the road for 29 days, my, my, one of my good friends says the it best. It's like every day was Saturday. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, <laughs> sure. perfect, perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. And we did, we did a lot of things, man. And I saw every day we woke up and it was like another hundred or 200 or 400 miles in a new town with some new friends, uh, riding a new road. And, and man, it was, I don't know, man, I, I, I either got to learn how to sell drugs so I can do that <laughs> or figure out how to do I, I loved it, man. It, it was, a, it was, it's, it, I didn't feel like it was life changing at the time, but as time gets in between me now and that, and then I feel like it's really starting to show me what I really want to do in my life, which is be on the road a lot. Uh, you know, I don't know. I so, no idea. so I got a question for yeah. somebody that hasn't been 
to the Sturges event, and I'm I think I'm saying the same for the other four. And Tony's not here, of course. But what would you say would be a, a good budget? Like, say if you went and you camped every day. Oh, camping is is how you're going to save money, right? Uh, unless you have a big group of friends where you can all go in on a house, which that still costs a lot of money. Yeah. Um, most of the campsites have package deals where you can go like three, four, or five days and get a good deal. Uh, and a lot of the campsites out there have very, very good amenities, like nice bathrooms, nice showers. Uh, they usually have a bar or something on site so that, you know, you don't have to go out and drink and then ride back because the cops out there are out there to make money off your ass. So, oh, you know, there, there's read up on the rules because they'll get you all. They even lower the speed limits on the highway during the rally. So your, your GPS will say this, but no, 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 no. It's, mm-hmm. it's, 10, it's 10 miles less. And there's one sign and it's really small. Yeah. The good <laughs> thing is like if you if you do this, if say if you're going to go up there and camp, go ahead and as soon as the campsites are available, book that. Maybe that's 500 bucks. Maybe it's four. Maybe it's three. Uh, it depends on the campsite. Depending on where you're coming from in the, in the country, like gas, uh, let's just say however you get there, that's on you. I don't know what your gas situation is, but I, I've gone to Sturgis for four or five days solo, just me and spent less than a thousand dollars on drinks, gas. Cause okay. you're going to ride a lot of miles there. You know, there's uh, you know, Sturgis, I like to tell people it's a, it's like a 350 mile. Nah, it's a 200 mile radius. If you put a pin right in Sturgis and there's a rally going on everywhere in that 200 mile radius, you know, you'll get into Colorado up on 25 and you'll see gas stations saying, welcome bikers. You know what I'm saying? It's that far away to where you start feeling like you're getting closer to the, to the matrix, if you will, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, the, if you're doing like those Buffalo chips and those kind of things, like the full throttles, like the concerts, those get it pretty expensive, but you can go find a cool campsite, uh, pay for that, you know, gas is gas, whatever that is for you. And then of course food gets expensive, but you know, there's McDonald's there. That's where most people's going in in the morning to grab, you know, dollar menu stuff or something like that. But I don't know. It just depends on your taste. Like what kind of, you know, you champagne taste or you, you know, PBR taste. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'll, P- I'll PBR the fuck out of the whole yeah. week. I don't care. You can do My brother went with me to Sturgis in 18 and he probably, he probably spent four or 500 bucks total. Okay. So like a, a, a grand, you, you could have a good time on a grand. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. 100%. okay. All right. Have you had an opportunity to ride up there uh, off season, Jace? No, not yet. Um, okay. I did that two years ago, went up there, and I can't, did what, like you said, I camped. We stayed in Hill City, camped mm-hmm. for, or just actually just north of Hill City, camped for six days. Best riding. I mean, it, oh, yeah. the riding was, and, and it was, and there was almost no bikes up there because we did it in September. Nice. So, yeah. So, actually, and it, ironically enough, uh, when we, we were going to get there on a Wednesday, that Monday, the campground that we were going to stay at got nine inches of snow. Yeah. That's what's hard about Sturgis is because the weather, I mean, yeah, I've seen it to where it's snowing there in June before. You yep. know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it's hard to plan a trip to want to go check it out when, you know that that's that place in the country is just it's so unpredictable weather wise. You know what I mean? It like was hot you, this year, wasn't it? So do you go to participate in the riding, or is there so much going on at the event that you, you know, you might be more focused on that? Man, I've, I. I've never, I mean, I've obviously heard stories. I've never been the crowd size that I like hear about overwhelms me, but (laughs) it's kind of like this, like the crowd is, is spread out. Like if you can go to where the crowd is, like if you go to main street, you're going to be around a lot of people. 
but your campsite is kind of like your own little world. You know what I'm saying? If yeah. you're camping, or your hotel or your, you know, house, if you're doing your friends thing, the, you know, there's cities like Deadwood or Hill city or Keystone or Custer, like all these towns are also having a rally and they're smaller uh, amounts of people. And you can, we used to stay in Hill city when I was in my bike club days and uh, there's a gas station right there at the corner in kind of Hill city where, you know, you know, uh, kind of like if you're coming to Hill city, you got to come through this area and that gas station has vendors and wild shit going on all night. You, you can stay at that gas station for two weeks and party. That's what's wild <laughs> about. Service, right. That's crazy. It, it's, cool. it is, it is crazy, man. It, it really is. The first time I ever went, I, I was pretty uh, overwhelmed with like, wow, like I never knew this existed because it's really hard to, you know, if you're going to, you can, you can enjoy Sturgis, uh, very intimately if you choose to you just gotta you know not go to certain areas you know don't go to the buffalo chip or don't go to those concerts which i'll be honest with you that they, they suck anyway and there's a lot of hell yeah brother shit going on sorry I had to <laughs> uh, but you know sturgis is I, I say sturgis is whatever you make of it you know what i mean how you want to yeah. do it is how you can do it and uh Sometimes that's like, you know, finding an area like there, there's campsites far, they're 100 miles from Sturgis, right? So you can still camp further away from things and then make the choice to go in to the shit show, you know what I'm saying? And then get back out and do your own thing. And yeah. uh, there, like I said, there, there's, I'm, I'm hoping I'm giving you a good idea of what it's like. It's not, <laughs> it can be overwhelming, but it, it really isn't. You know what I mean? It's no different than, I don't know. Just go. You'll love it. I guarantee you'll love it. <laughs> oh, I, I totally plan to. And I, I'd like to do what Ryan did and meet up with him and whoever else would want to go and ride there off season, you know, not, not when the rally's going on, just to get what a taste I'll, of the riding. If I could, I would tell you guys this. So usually, usually Sturgis is literally like a, a two week long event, but the, the main part of it is kind of like the middle weekend of the two weeks, right? That's usually where we get there, and that's where the shows start kicking off. And that's when people are really pulling in the Sturgis. But if you go that first week, you know, let's say it starts on Monday. If you leave your house and you're there Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you're going to get a taste of rally. Like, all the people are there. The vendors are there. There's shit going on. But you can still kind of ride all the, you know, the Iron Mountain and the and Needles. You're going to still have – you're not going to rip it. You're not going to, you know, balls to the wall through these things. But – you can ride it peacefully and enjoyably and still get a taste of what the rally's like without the massive crowd that's going to be there that coming weekend. Yeah. So we, when I would like more or less bring all the homies up there for their first time, I say, let's get there Wednesday or Thursday. We'll do these, you know, we'll do the Spearfish Canyon because that's on one side of, of Sturgis. And then we'll go do the Rushmore and all that stuff on the on another day. And then we've gotten the riding or the, the main riding done. Now let's party on Saturday and Sunday and then we'll dip on Monday. And then, you know, what we did a couple of years ago was we just did that exactly like I just said. And then all of our old ladies drove home and then we all went to Yellowstone and did, you know, a big, super big loop back to Texas. And uh, absolutely was one of the most amazing times I've ever been to Sturgis. So plenty of ways you can do it. I just want to say, man, uh, this thing, Thank you. Work of fucking art, man. Appreciate what was what was the inspiration? Like the color choice? It looks like you you got a lot of '90s and like late '80s into it with the with the pink and the turquoise. 
Uh, well, the inspiration, um, uh, so the wheels came to me first and then trying to find something that complemented the wheels and didn't, uh, you know, kind of matched it, but didn't overpower the wheels, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. That's how we went with the gold leaf uh, and, and made the gold leaf tinted to the same kind of anodized as the wheels. Uh, another great painter and a friend of mine, Jeremy Lucky Strike, he did a bike uh, for a, a mutual friend of ours called uh, RG Destroyer. And he had this pink, tur- turquoise, purple, like very Miami Vice kind of vibe. And I loved it. I, I just, as a fan of custom paint, I was in love with this bike. And as a fan of those two individuals, I dug it. Unfortunately, uh, our friend RG Destroyer is his name. His name is RG Destroyer because he destroys everything he has. Hmm. He destroyed that fucking bike like yeah. three weeks after he got it done or something like that. Hmm. And uh, hmm. out of like, I don't know, uh, the pink and I, I put like this. I do purple. There's purple in every one of my personal bikes uh, that since like 2014 or 15. Um, adding the pink and all that in there was just kind of more of a, I don't know. It was just fun. And it, it kind of created a, uh, how do you say it? Like, uh, I'm not trying to be a serious biker. I'm not, I don't want people to think I'm unapproachable or I'm, I'm super hardcore and blah, blah, blah. So it just, to me, it's like, I get guys that won't let me put purple on their bike because they say it's gay. You know what I mean? And I just like, well, shit, I'll put pink and, you know, teal or aqua or whatever the hell. I I don't know. I just think it works. You know what I'm saying? It does. Um, Hold on that bike, Dustin and I were talking before you you got on about that bike, and I think we both yeah. said the same thing. That's probably the absolutely best paint job we've seen using gold. Yeah, because because most, really most of the time yeah. people when they're they, they put way too much gold out there. You know, yeah, just, and that's that's overbearing. the hard part is you gotta you gotta balance it. I mean, everything in my opinion, the paint is about balancing things, and and. Um, you got to be able to do this at a level where it, nothing overpowers one or the other. And those wheels are yeah. loud. Mm-hmm. You got to, you yeah. know, if I did a bunch of gold in the paint, it would fight the wheels. And at that point, it would be very complicated to. No, it's, to it's good balance. It a, yeah, it's yeah, good balance top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a graphic designer, so I appreciate stuff like this. And I'm, I'm yeah. you know, I'm analyzing this thing like a like a math problem. And there's I, no problems. <laughs> it's got big dick energy. Look at the reservoirs, Ryan. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> the other the other bike that that I, I want to give you props for, Jace, is uh, that bike that you painted with the uh, North Carolina colors. Yeah, that's a good friend, uh, Jake. Uh, yeah. That that bike, for me, uh, of all the bikes that you painted, that was the one that jumped out to me that was like, I, I thought that was next level. And and I, I've been a, a kind of a proponent of... Uh, uh, it's like staying away from Chrome and that bike has Chrome wheels on it. And he brought the, you know, you brought all the Chrome out and dude, I, I don't, I don't even know what to say. That bike was, was absolutely next level that the color scheme, that, that shade of blue, everything you did on that bike was, was absolutely perfect. I don't know. Um, I, I know these guys are obviously talking about your own personal bike of the bikes that I've seen you paint outside of bikes that you have ridden i don't know that i've seen a better bike by any painter out there um you can call yourself number three but that bike right there that was number one that was the best fucking bike that that was the best painted bike custom bike i've ever seen that's that's my personal opinion but that bike was was off the charts dude it it was amazing in fact 
I uh, I went back and found whenever you posted it, found out whoever that person was that bought it and followed him just so every time you posted, I could see that fucking bike. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> uh, it you know it it's 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 very rewarding to do things like that because you know that that was his vision that that he gave me the pieces to the puzzle and I was able to put that puzzle together for him. And to your point about Chrome, um, Chrome is just like. For us in the custom motorcycle world, that's kind of fresh right now. Right. Because everything has become, you know, powder coated black. And that's just, don't get me wrong. I love it. It, you can't go wrong with just blacking out your bike. You know what I mean? Black it out and ride the fuck out of it. That's right. You know, it's going to look good and, you know, you don't have to worry about cleaning it as much. But in a world of a bunch of blacked out bikes, even Harley dropping blacked out bikes now, it's, uh, you know, the chrome is like, oh shit, like I hadn't seen that in a long time. You know what I mean? And right. so, there's been a couple homies that's done more chrome. You know, my machinist, Justin, mm -hmm. he did all this crazy billet stuff, chrome wheels, chrome frame. And uh, he did a solid color paint job, which I'm not a huge fan of. But, <laughs> uh, for the most part, he built a very unique bike that, that you know, utilizes chrome and stuff like really well. Hold yeah. on. Shut the so fuck up. Friends <laughs> 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 down there. So, so would you say as a, as a painter that your customer's experience with you and is, is an important thing for you to deliver on? Uh, no, man, I'm, I'm the worst guy at customer service. Like no, I you're not. fuck no, off you're all not. the time. No. What I say is, uh, um, what I like to say is that, that when I do stuff for people, I'm going, when it's time to do their project, they get a hundred percent of my attention. Right. I'm not the, you know, it, I, I charge a lot of money to paint a bike and, a lot of people, when they put that money down, they're like, fuck, I just gave this guy like five grand on a deposit. And he's just kind of like, okay, talk to you later kind of shit. You know, I'll talk to you in a month or so when it's time to do your, your job. And some people, they need constant like conversation, constant like uh, customer service. And I'm just, I'm not that guy. I'm like, look, you're going to get a hundred percent of me. You're probably going to be annoyed at me when it's time. You know what I mean? And that's just so I can, I, I can't do two projects at once. You know what I mean? I'm just not wired that way. And uh, I think that most people will say that after we've done a project together, that they love the experience or they dug it because of how much energy I put into prying out information from them to get something they truly wanted or hopefully they wanted. You know what I mean? And um, I take a lot of pride into in, in kind of trying to be as unique as possible um, with my own work. Not that, you know, I'll be the first one to tell you that I'm inspired by a lot of other uh, painters that are my friends or that I don't even know, but I don't copy people. I take inspiration and I make it mine or I, I, I reshape it into something that's mine. And those guys do the same thing with my work and things like that. So it's a mutual sharing of ideas and, and things like that. But hopefully that answered your question. I don't think I did. <laughs> I, admire, I admire that work ethic where you don't work on two projects at once because you lose whatever flow you have going. Yeah. If you if you work on this bike for a week and you're like, okay, I'm going to take a break and then go work on this one. If you have something great going on with yeah. your vision for that bike, it could get broken. And then, oh, 100%. But, you know, you spend a week on the other bike like, okay, stop this one, go back over here. I just I, – I wish my job – I had that luxury. I just don't. Yeah. But I think that's one of the things about owning your own business is you could do things the way you want. It's not efficient. Trust me. It's, it's, uh, it's, I mean, it, 
my good friend Jeremy Lucky Strike, he's working on four or five bikes or helmets or projects at once, and he can juggle, juggle that mentally, and I just can't. Uh, maybe it's because of also like you know dealing with the podcast and all these other aspects of of what I do for a living kind of gets in the way as well. But one paint project at a time, uh, and that's it's worked out well for the last couple of years, and uh, I haven't gotten overwhelmed with it. And so that's the other thing is like I don't ever want to get to that point where I'm just like doing this shit to get it out of the shop. You know, like I want everything that I do to be something that I'm proud of, even if it might not have been my first choice of colors or um, parts that they decide to use on the bike. If I, I, I still want to be proud of what I did on the bike. And that sometimes means that, you know, you have to have, be a lot more strict about what you take in um, and who you do work for. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, to me, it's like, that's kind of like my, I hate using this word, but that's like my mental health is like, I want to be happy and work for people that make me happy or make me feel good about what I'm doing. Like, I don't want to deal with assholes. It's like, I'm an asshole enough. I don't want to, I don't need to deal with one, you know, but, uh, I don't know. Like I, I hear horror stories. I get a lot of painters that reach out to me about how to deal with certain types of customers, certain types of uh, situations. And, um, sometimes even on our podcast, I feel like I'm customer bashing a lot, but you know, you take 20 plus years of, working on motorcycles and paint jobs and things like that. You've heard every story you've, they've tried to screw you over every different way. And there's also people that have done that have changed my life because they were so such amazing customers. And I think that we tend to, you know, as humans, I think we talk about the negative a little bit too much and not the stroking of the <laughs> ass people. You know what I mean? We talk well, about stroking plenty on this podcast. Yeah. Oh, well, y'all, they're going to love my podcast. <laughs> Yeah. So I like that. Like you're not a proctologist. So yeah, you don't need to deal with any other assholes. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. There, there's a, put like this, this might give you guys a perspective. On one end, one customer calls what I do art. On the other end, it's a paint job so they can win a bike show, right? It's mm. a material possession. It's, it's no different than the wheels or the grips they put on their bike. It's just another thing they need for the, the puzzle that they're putting together. And so the guy that's, you know, trying to put the puzzle together typically has the money that I need to sustain my, you know, business and livelihood. Sometimes the guy that really appreciates my art can't afford to have it. So finding the guy that's a little bit of both, that can appreciate what I'm doing and can afford it. You know, there's not as many of those people out there as uh, some people think. But, you know, when you work for somebody that appreciates you, uh, you just do better work. I mean, I'm sure you can all attest to that. Oh, so. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I just like to work with a painter that returns your phone calls and gives you the shit he says he's going to give you. Yeah. And sometimes, <laughs> so that's the other thing. That's the other, that's the other edge of the sword that, that people, they don't like to be told no. Like, Hey, I want to get my bike painted. Are you, I'm like, no, I, I don't have an opening till next year. Oh, okay. I'll go somewhere else then. All right. Well, you know, that's fine. Cause I know this is something you want to do now. But I don't have anybody. There's you can Google my brand and my name. People will say he's a dick, but they never say that he does bad work or fucked anybody over in 20 plus years. You know what I'm saying? And that to me is more important because I I do what I say I'm going to do, and I stick to my deadlines. I give myself realistic deadlines. If you say if you come to me in May and say you're trying to build a bike for Sturgis, I'm just gonna I don't care if it's a thirty thousand dollar paint job, which 
there's none of those out there. I'm just, you know, exaggerating. <laughs> uh, there's, I'm, I'm not going to take that job because I know that my travel schedule is one thing. And I know that, you know, for that kind of money or this kind of project, like I, I know what kind of time I need to produce that. And so being realistic with yourself as a painter or a builder is kind of the first step to getting to the point of doing quality work. So, um, that way you don't overwhelm yourself. That way you don't uh, get into a bad position with the customer where he's gotten money invested. He's become a dick now, um, but he's kind of become a dick because you're not doing what you said you were going to do. So, you know, cause and effect. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's true with any small business, right. Or any business. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that's, that's the thing that people, you know, I think over time people learn that I, it took me a long time to learn. I just knew that from day one, I mean, trust me, like when I say I don't have any, any bad, you know, things out there about my brand or my paintwork it's because i fucking took it in the ass a lot you know what i'm saying like <laughs> yeah i i yep. misquoted i misquoted my deadlines i yep. uh, you know my family suffered i suffered my pocket suffered to keep that reputation good and now i've just i've learned okay don't do that don't say that don't do this way and it kind of helps you shape a better customer experience with people you know what i mean you know, so there's, it's just learning. Like you said, it's business, but it, it takes a while for people to learn. Cause trust me, when I was younger, I had to take everything. I couldn't turn things down. I just had to, I, I needed whatever I could to pay the bills and get by. Now I, I'm in a better position where I can kind of choose the work that I want to work on. Um, but pretty much no matter what, you got to do crackhead shit for a while to get to, <laughs> to, to have a little bit more, you know, control over the type of work that you take in. So sure. All right, Discord friends, FDB's about to answer your questions. Make sure you head over to 5dirtybikers.com and click the link on the homepage to visit our Discord and become a member. Brittany, go ahead, fire them off. All right. Uh, the first question is from Deep Freeze Bob. He says, first of all, you do amazing work. Wants to make sure that you know that. And then he said, did you paint Justin's Cash Cow 2? Also, is it true you're hanging up the paint gun? Are you just going to do helmets or quit altogether? I can reread uh, that if that was too fast. If he's talking about Justin Hang'em High, uh, Money Pit 2, I didn't. That was Jeremy Lucky Strike did that. Like I said, great painter, great friend of mine. Um, I, have a, I have a really great group of customers that are regulars, right? They do four or five helmets a year. Um one or two bikes that are pretty high in bikes. So in a sense, I can kind of, kind of not quit painting, but like limit what I take in on the outside. And that's with me wanting, like we talked earlier about YouTube, I want to create some YouTube presence. I want to, I want to continue to push the podcast in a better direction. It's time and pain is very, very time consuming. Now uh, I've made little posts on Instagram, like I'm quitting, I'm fuck this thing. Right. But the truth is like, uh, I am going to be stepping back quite a bit, but not quitting outright because it is my safety net a hundred percent. And so if instead of doing 48 helmets a year, maybe I'll do 24 or 12. Uh, maybe instead of doing 10 bikes a year, I'll do one or two. So it's just freeing up more time to create, to start putting in more effort into these other areas that I want to grow. And, uh, and to be honest with you right now, the, you know, with the inflation going on in so many different areas, paint, is absolutely ridiculous. And so when I tell people like 10 grand to paint a bagger, that's a lot of money. If someone told me that I'd shit myself, but it isn't a lot of money in the paint world anymore. It's 
kind of breaking even in a sense, you know, a month's worth of work, you know, plus you had, you know, paint materials. So you end up being like three thirty five, four grand. So you're making $6,000 plus, you know, all the people you got to pay lights. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't add out uh, up very well anymore. So even though gas prices have kind of gone back down, these paint prices, they don't, they never come back down. They just keep getting oh, Everything keeps going up. It's insane. We, somewhat unrelated, we actually had to go buy just a can of paint for our house so we can like touch up our walls. We just bought a house. Yeah. You walked and out we bow-legged. Oh my gosh. We were so surprised at how high the prices are. And we have like the beginner paint, they told us. And I think it was like $70 a can. It's like yeah. when did paint become seventy dollars a can? Like I, I mean, it used to be so much cheaper. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, there's there's so many things that you use, not just in, in a paint shop. I mean, tape is probably one of the second most uh, oh yeah uh, expensive things that you buy, and the little tapes that we use to do graphics. You know, each roll is seven to fifteen bucks a roll, and you know, different sizes. I mean, there's just so much shit you buy. It's like. And that, that's one industry that doesn't do shit for us. You know, that right. paint industry doesn't, they don't sponsor nobody. They don't, I mean, it's a, it's a shit show. And so for that, the, I hate that side of the industry for that reason. But, um, you know, like I said, I don't want to lose my touch, if you will. Um, but I also don't, I, I would rather paint be become uh, more of what the podcast was. It's something I did on the side. And I focus daily on the podcast and and uh, hopefully more YouTube content and photography. Um, I mean, you guys know, like, when you can prepare more for a podcast, the podcast is better. You know what I mean? Yeah. When I've done my research on a guest, past what I surface value know, when I made notes, when I've created some things over here to bring up, like you guys were bringing up pictures of, of my work, when I can kind of create that for my producer over here um, – it makes my episode better and I want everything I do to be a hundred percent effort. You know what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. you know, I only have so much bandwidth, so I got to take a little bit from the paint right now and focus more on these other areas. So hopefully that answers this question. Absolutely. It did. <laughs> you got it. Uh, the next one is wandering Ganter says, did the road guide and street guide ST meet your expectations as a factory offered performance bagger? Uh, I would say it was it was a pretty great st step in the right direction. Um, I mean, I don't think that Harley really made anything. They just kind of took what they already had and threw it together and called it the performance bike. You know what I'm saying? So, and that's kind of what they did with the Lowrider S. They, they they've done that with they repurpose a lot of things, right? We have a lot of 117s. Let's just put them in this bike. You know, take away things like back pegs in a back seat <laughs> and charge more than a Roglad Special. It's to me, it's like a Heart spin bike is what it was. Good, good point. Good. <laughs> um, don't don't be wrong. Like it, I, I had juggled with the idea of selling my bagger now, and if I did, I would probably buy an ST. Not because I think it's a great deal, uh, simply because I've ridden some of those one seventeens and um, with the Cam and they rip. They're they're more than enough for what I do, and so for me, that would just be the the value instead of buying a a one thirty one crate engine and putting it in a. a uh, special, you know what I mean? So I don't know, not please, a bad bike. Please tell me you would paint the wheels from that ugly bronze. Oh, I would just get rid of them and put some custom wheels on there. Ah. <laughs> I'm an adult. So. <laughs> I think, I think they could have done themselves a, a better service if they would have, if they would have, uh, 
you know, even if it was the rebranded, whatever you want to call Harley's Screaming Eagle, Olin's brand, yeah. uh, you know, say what you will about it. But if they would have put those shocks on the bike right out of the box, if they'd have put different bars on there, and I still think that they need to they need to figure out a way to do away with the navigation and stereo system and all that and speakers. They don't need all that in that bike. I want it. Uh, you want it? <laughs> I, want it. I, I, I don't use the speakers or the radio, but I love I love the infotainment center from the the navigate. When you're riding roads you've never ridden before, yeah, um, I like having the navigation up there to see what kind of curves I got coming ahead of me. You, yeah. um, but you don't you don't mount your your phone on your bars though, do you? I re I didn't for a long time. I just recently started um, doing it again. I didn't like having the big ram mount claw on my yep. bike just for the yep. aesthetic of it. Oh, the ram mount blue ass. Yeah, and I've lost a, a phone or two from that. So you, when they're new, they work good, but after you know, a couple of trips, like they're they're done, they're toast. So mine dialed nine one one on me. <laughs> I, had, I had the fucking state police calling me asking what my emergency was. Nice. No, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I there's there there's uh, I've, I've had a kind of a mole in the in the moto company for a while that's kind of fed me some shit like the lowrider ST that. We kind of leaked on Instagram a long time ago. Yep. Uh, yep. And then everybody on YouTube said that they found out first from there. Fucking liars. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, they are coming out with the Monoshock Bagger, and it's going to have a water-cooled system uh, similar to the whatever that new motor is called. I forget it off the top of my tongue right now. So I think that this Road Glide ST and Street Glide ST was kind of a – uh, let's throw something out there to let them know that we're we're listening and we're in the works with something. Here's sure. a parts bin bike that we have of shit laying around that you guys can have a great start to a performance bagger. Now, right. realistically, they needed. I think they just needed more time to get things rolling for them to un- unveil this next bike because 2023 is an actual anniversary year. Uh, right. I think it's what 120 years. So. Next year's releases, I feel like they're gonna have they're gonna be releasing more of something that's more competitive to the challenger. I don't think it's gonna be a just like the road glide or street glide that we know today with the water cooled motor. I think it'll be a completely redesigned, different chassis, different aesthetics, maybe looking like a road glide or a street glide, but different. Maybe. Nice. Or I'm sure. I think yeah, I think those milestone years they're they're keeping all their bigger ideas for those. Yeah. And um I don't know, like I said, they probably wanted to test the waters with the ST, and you know, I mean, I don't know. We live and die by the by the motor company, and if you're true Harley people, and uh, I don't think that they've done a bad job the last couple of years um, at all. I, I think that uh, they've done a good job of kind of giving us something along the lines of what we want, and kind of getting rid of some of the things that have become more obsolete in the scene of motorcycles. Um, I know that somebody out there is probably tripping out wanting the, what was the V-Rod style soft tail they had for a while? Uh, I forget what it's called. Like FXDR? The, yeah. The, I'm yeah, sure yeah, there's FXDR. somebody that was pissed when that went away. But, you know, for the most part, uh, you know, it, it wasn't really, it was more, that's more of a European style bike than American. I wasn't impressed with it. I got to ride it. I didn't, I didn't care for it. I think they're missing the mark in getting somebody who's, you know, say 24 to 35 to buy a Harley because they're uh, um, unless you're all in on motorcycles, they don't have something anymore below $10,000. And uh, 
So they, they have nothing because we all know once you buy the first Harley, even if it's a sportster, you're hooked. They, yeah. they, they've got, you know, you, you're all in at that point, right? I mean, we've all owned sportsters. And so um, it, that's the, and now even a, even a sportster, even the new Nightster, it's like 11, yeah. 12,000. And then if you go to the wrong dealer, they're going to gouge you for three or four more thousand. So you're going to walk out for 15, 16 grand for, for a Nightster. Right. Yeah, so what they, what I think that they did instead of trying to build a, a cheap bike like the, you know, because other bikes that they had that were in that kind of price range didn't work out like the, the the what was it the five hundred or something yeah. like kind of sport bike s kind of different motor situation, but what they did a couple of years ago or last year was they created the uh, Harley Davidson certified used bikes right to yep. where now Harley yep. Davidson themselves are putting their own stamp back on their own products to kind of create more of a certified used bike market. Right. Yeah. The CPO uh, program. That's what they're, uh, that's, that's kind of like their entry level place now to get a Dyna or you soft or even an older bagger for some people. But, um, depending on where you're at in the country, man, like it's, it's weird. I know across the board, Harley's not as popular amongst that generation, but for someone that's been around for a long time, I've never seen more young people be on Harley's in my life. So, I think it's better than it's ever been, but sure. with the growth of population and what they need to do to kind of show the numbers, it's probably still low to what they'd like it to be. But from what I understand, I think all dealers are hurting. Like it's not, I mean, not manufacturers are hurting with younger demographics. It's not, it's not one, uh, it's not one manufacturer's problem. I think it's the problem as a whole to where they need to spend more money promoting how do you get motorcycles in the eyes of more younger people? And that's through pop culture. Unfortunately, you know, yeah. a lot of us grew up with things like Harley Davidson, the Marble man or Terminator or biker boys and things like that. It, it, it's just exposure of things. And now I know that they do for some YouTubers like the two lane life guys and things like that. But with the younger demographic or younger generation looking at more YouTube, Harley needs to invest more into YouTubers. You know what I mean? Or maybe, I mean, I, I don't know. They probably are. I just don't see it. I don't know. I'm kind of speaking out of my ass on this, but they just need to get their product in more things that, that kind of appeal to a younger generation. So, you know, when they gave away those soft tails a couple of years ago to guys like, uh, you know, Ludacris and and uh, the Pride of Gypsies, uh, fucking Aquaman, whatever his name is. Uh, he's a great ambassador. He, he's, he's really into the motorcycle scene and does a lot for it. But at the same time, uh, they they could that's kind of like easy let's give this guy a bike instead of like how can we get our bike in this new movie coming out how can we get harley davidson in you know said avengers movie coming out you know what right. i'm saying yeah they've so been that, in they've been in i know captain america was riding yeah, one yeah. in one of the one of the avengers movies i can't remember which one but I, i've seen like john wicks riding a motorcycle well, movies are badass by the way i, love I think yeah, yeah for sure yeah. I, I think you know like like to your point you know give a harley to somebody who can't afford one rather than giving a harley to, to someone who can afford to buy 10 you know right. what i mean uh, I, I, I agree <laughs> and i don't i agree and i disagree because if you're in a business like you want to like if i'm going to sponsor somebody yeah it's courageous of me look at me i gave this poor guy over here free custom painted helmet that's more like like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I want to give it to somebody that's going to do something with it that's going to help promote what I'm trying to grow, right? Yeah, no, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I totally I totally get what you're saying and, and agree with that. I, I mean more more so like somebody like Jason Momoa or, that, or the actors and stuff that they gave him 
gave the bikes to, they gave them to them because of their profile, oh, right? Sure. Because they because they thought that they were going to get them out there and get them in front of more eyes. But at the end of the day, Jason Momoa is probably the only one that actually is out there riding a motorcycle, yeah. right? But to your point earlier, uh, YouTubers and influencers and people in the industry that are that are riding are going to be the ones that are going to have the ear and the eyes of the people that want to see it, you For know. Sure making it like like i said making it more digestible and i think um you know just like you having your camp out right you're saying riding motorcycles maybe doesn't have to always be you know riding 500 miles or doing whatever but you can also go camping you can also do this you can also you know i think the difficulty also in the united states is that um motorcycling has no utilitarian purpose in the united states we yeah. do not use motorcycles like they do across the rest of the world. The rest yeah. of the world uses motorcycles as a tool, and we don't. It's pure enjoyment here. Agreed. And with people having less disposable income, it makes it harder to get them to buy into something that's only going to be used whenever you're going to um, go and enjoy yourself. And if you don't have the time to do that or the money to do that, then you're stuck, right? So. Yeah. I'll take you. I'll 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 give Harley this. They can take it from my rule book. If they were to help promote more states to get legalized lane splitting, it would help create more of a day to day need, like you just said, to ride yep. bikes as a as an option to commute. Because Dallas, in Texas, every every major city in Texas has horrible traffic, and it was like that before all the Californians started moving here. So it's just bad. You know what I mean? Because we've been growing so much and. You take a state like this where people are riding their bikes more, you have more people on bikes, which means more maintenance, more uh, more people are looking at it as a viable option to ride. More people are going to create parking in, in city centers for motorcycle-type shit. You're going to create more of, a, of an economy in motorcycles because now there's more shops that need to be out to handle the maintenance and things like that. Um, it grows it. So if I was Harley, I would probably be lobbying to help bring certain t things like this that are going to perpetually make motorcycling more common in those states. Now, I know a lot of the older demographics of guys or, or riders are not going to want to do the trade-off, which is probably going to be a helmet law. You know, most people don't want to ride with a helmet, and I get it. But for the greater good of the of the progression of motorcycles, whether it's you being able to ride down the street with a, your, you know, your fucking bald head in the air or putting on something that way – the, the whole motorcycle community can grow. I don't know. Take one for the team, dude. You got to yeah. ride. You know what I mean? So I think that that's a very perpetual thing. A lot of things need to happen to make it hat to make it all come together. But I do think that that's one thing that would create uh, a bigger draw to motorcycles nationwide. And maybe it's more of the manufacturers coming together to help lobby, to get more things like lane splitting uh, taken care of. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Do you, do you ever wonder, one of the things I've, I've wondered is, uh, have you ever wondered if the fear for Harley Davidson or the people in the industry is that if they try to move forward and move some of these legislations forward, it's going to draw more attention to motorcycling. And then people that don't have motorcycles are going to, are going to weigh in on all of those, those political lanes that they have to, that have to get into. And so all of a sudden they're going to say, well, we don't want more bikes on the road. We want your bikes to be quieter. In fact, we want them to be electric, you know, and then all of a sudden all the people that don't ride 
are the larger voting block than those of us that do ride. And now they're determining what we do with our motorcycles. So think about it like this. What pays for most roads is gas tax, right? In California, uh, they have one of the highest prices of gas and one of the biggest taxes on gas for the state to help with their roads. And guess who's mainly on? I mean, obviously there's tons and tons of traffic, but there's also lots of bicycles. There's lots of bicycle lanes that people in cars and motorcycles pay for that tax. So those bicycles can exist. So as a motorcyclist, you're still putting money on the table for the, for the, the, the growth of the road systems and the, and the economy in that fucking world. But in my opinion, um, you're allowing this bike to get the hell out of the way. Right. You know what I mean? Like yep. this bike is not in front of you. This, this guy is not in his big truck or his car or his van. Now he's on this bike getting out of the way. It's a, in a sense, it's kind of like a little bit of a mass transit kind of situation where this bike lane splitting is completely out of your fucking life yep. in less than a second. Right yep. now in Texas, they act like when we do that shit, cause we do it here, you know, regardless of its legality, we do it anyway. And you would think that we just, did the worst thing in the world to this person. <laughs> right. Like just, they, they want to literally run you off the road, but I think that's an education thing that would take time to kind of change in certain areas. But at the same time, like if, if, if you focus on what it's going to do to help alleviate traffic in a lot of areas, then why would any like, yeah, go sit in traffic then nerd. What the hell? Yeah. Like I, we're going to yeah. do it anyway, but I'm just right. saying like, this could help it grow uh, past like, you know, service level. So. Yeah, well, and California has been behind it for such a long period of time. They even make their lanes wider, so their their lanes are two feet wider than they are in the rest of the states to accommodate lane splitting. So they've made it so that it's possible for all of those things to exist. And and just like you said, I mean, they passed a helmet law in the eighties, you know, and so they they set all of their situations up. And I've always said in North Dakota, we'll never have a helmet law here because not enough people die. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, you know? well, I mean, in certain areas, it, I mean, lane splitting is mainly something that's more important for major traveled highways and urban. roads in urban yep. areas. Not yep. so much like out in the country, you know, like causing, obviously there's, there's even rules to lane splitting in, in California, you know, but right. of course we act like there's not when we're out there riding, but you know, at the <laughs> same time, you know, but there, there's lots of to it. It's not just like some free for all that you on a bike and now everything that's paved is a road. You know what I mean? It's not that. And that's just education, but you know, Europe, I don't know if they legally have it, but I don't, I mean, you see those videos all over the place of people just riding all over the, you know what I mean? Yep. yep. I, I don't know. I mean, it's a thought and I'm not a great thinker. I'm just a great complainer. So <laughs> um, I think that it's something that maybe these people or these institutions could look into as to how to make motorcycling a viable option for the need to ride bikes as yep. far as, as transportation. Yep. And maybe that would help keep it more a part of your life and around and not not be some kind of like a taboo type thing. I mean, think about it. We're we're riding motorcycles in probably one of the best times ever to ride bikes. I mean, you know, I wasn't around for this, but in the seventies and eighties and even some of the nineties, like motorcycling was always outlaw. You know what I'm saying? Like it was not mm-hmm. necessarily some kind of uh it's like skateboarding, you know what I mean? Like people yep. see a skateboard like fuck, this dude's gonna go tear up our our, you know, land, you know, our fucking you're gonna go jump the stairs and grind up stuff, right? Yep. Same thing with bikes. And then whenever, you know, when funny enough, when Harley made it hard for Harley to sell these bikes because they didn't have them in stock back in the in the nineties, that created a whole custom motorcycle movement. You know what I mean? With custom choppers. 
And then you get all these rich dudes in that kind of change the face of what motorcycles look like. The way it looked like in the early 2000s versus the way it looked like in the 80s is not the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And and the magazines changed. It went from, you know, uh, in the wind and which we all love those. I still love those magazines today, but you see it change in the magazine. I buy a lot of old easy riders and you can see it change in the magazine from the late seventies and and eighties into the nineties and into the two thousands as it just became more accepted and part of like, Oh yeah. Motorcycling is cool. And you don't have to be an outlaw 1% biker, you know, badass to be a biker. You know what I'm saying? So, right. Yeah. It just takes time to kind of change the narrative and it's kind of a, I don't know, Harley kind of fucking did that for that in a sense, if you will. Right. No, you're, you're, you're totally, uh, you're, you're, uh, you're spot on, I think for sure. Yeah. The whole marketing thing with where they gave the bike away to all these celebrities and everything, I'm going to need to turn my camera on and off because it is about ready to die. But anyway, it's almost like they're using marketing from back in the eighties and nineties because Michael Jordan sold a shitload of big Macs back in the nineties. Yeah. So I think they were trying to go back to that old marketing style to where they're using the celebrities to pull in to sell product, right? Yeah. It's different because in the 80s and 90s and even late 70s, we grew up a lot different than the way these kids are now. For sure. And a lot of them, are they're, they got their eyes glued to a screen half the day. So they need that influence, like you said, like YouTubers. Yeah. Spending more money on that type of marketing is really what's going to pull these people in because if they're looking at a screen half the day, they're going to have to see a motorcycle ad somewhere. Yeah, I mean – Agreed, hundred percent. We grew up. We grew up with like superstar celebrities like Michael Jordan and and all the different football players, basketball, movie stars, things like that. Now, you know, YouTubers are that same thing, or or just people on Instagram are that same thing. It's 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 not the same thing, but it's the 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 same kind of like I guess if it, I it's guess an evolution of it's, it's an just evolution, yeah, an ev- evolution of influence is what yeah. I call it, yeah. Man, I, I think that honestly, it just it, it's. I don't know. I fucking don't know what I think. <laughs> uh, uh, a marketing enema at Harley might be might be worth a talk. <laughs> I think that they're a big enough company where they need to they need to diversify their portfolio. <laughs> they need to they need to put money in a lot of different areas. You know, like they should put money into in you know they should have somebody that's looking at podcasts that's looking at people on social media like these these smaller events uh try to put their name behind it unfortunately like harley is a corporate company right i've had people that worked at harley on this podcast and because we said gay they got threatened to get fired unless i pulled it out they didn't even, actually they didn't even say it i think i said it but they were going to get fired because they were on a podcast where i said the word gay you know what i mean and it's and I wasn't using it as a. I guess it's all derogatory now. I don't know how it works. <laughs> you know, I, it was just like a. Oh, that that's gay. Which I'm fucking up your YouTube now. I'm sorry. You can. Bring <laughs> up. Uh, We're audio first too. We under. Okay, but right. it, it's one of those things where um, I think that like the new type of bikes bikers they're trying to uh, create that are I, I hate to use the word woke and all this social justice shit. Um. I think they're trying to lean into that to create more of that, but there's still so many older style bikers that are used to seeing titties in magazines and wet t-shirt contests at, at, at bike events. And we're, we're just kind of like in between this, these two different 
worlds of motorcycles, man. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's weird. It's like six years ago, we, we go to events and it's like, I'm expecting a wet t-shirt contest here. <laughs> Where the fuck is it? And I'm like, oh yeah, we don't do that anymore. That shit, you know, there's a lot of women riders now. We don't want to be offensive to that. And I'm not saying there's anything bad about that. I'm just saying it's, it's different and it's mm-hmm. happening quickly to where, you know, I think that the bigger demographic, maybe the people that don't indulge in motorcycles so frequently, like say we do, they, we see it happening there. They show up to stairs like what? There's not a wet t-shirt contest here. Why? Oh, fucking the Democrats. You know what I'm saying? Like it becomes <laughs> that, you know what I'm saying? So I, I don't know, man. Like it's a, uh, what are we talking about? <laughs> we're just talking i'm not sure how we got here <laughs> that's me trying to save myself no, we, 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 tangent, we tangent the fuck out of this thing all the time it's all good yeah did we have any more questions for jays we did not well we oh, wanted yeah, we do sorry. want to thank everybody on discord for submitting your questions remember if you want to join discord it is absolutely fucking free go to five dirtybikers.com click the link on the homepage. that'll get you right there sign up for free lots of good people in there Jace, uh, it's been great to have you, man. Uh, we've been we've been looking forward to this, and it's been great to get another perspective on here and have a a talent like you that's also in the same medium, you know, with a different type of influence, different type of audience, and just shoot the shit. Yeah, it's just it's it's been awesome. Well, I appreciate it, man. Anything I can do to help you guys out, and you guys having me on helps me out. Uh, you guys ever want to fly down and get in the studio and get fucked up? Come hang <laughs> I want to ride down to the studio. Actually, <laughs> Well, you know, I, I grew up not too far from you, so uh, yeah. next time I'm home visiting family, don't you know, yeah, come on through, man. Home. Like, like I said, this is a community, and the and the more podcasts out there that are consistent, they can grow and, and get to your level and even ours in some aspects. Um, it's good for us. It's good. It's if we're helping somebody find, you know, feed that itch or itch that scratch, whatever the fucking analogy is for riding motorcycles, and I think that we're all providing a good service for the end user which is hopefully dudes on motorcycles and chicks. Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Make sure you check out Jace at FastLifeGarage.com. All his links to his socials and what he's got going on is over there. Thank you guys for listening this week on Five Dirty Bikers Podcast. Until next time, keep it dirty. Are you following the Five Dirty Bikers on social media? Find us on Facebook and look us up on Instagram and TikTok at 530Bikers.